You're listening to 7 Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology. Supported by the HR Gazette and Hive Tech HR. And now your host, Jeremy Ames. All right. So I'm joined today by Rick Mahoney with People Strategy. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing well today. How about yourself? Great, thanks. So we're going to be doing uh, today, uh, as part of the seven points of satisfaction in buying HR technology, today we're going to be covering the sales process. So uh, I know that we have some, the overall specifics of the, of this um, series, talk about product, that's the one that just preceded this, and we'll talk about negotiation and on to support, et cetera. But for now, we're going to get really specific about that. Um, important phase in the buying process, which is really when you get down to selling and buying the product. So uh, today is a very important part of the overall topic. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to get, get going here with Rick. So just to, to give you again some context, uh, we've, we've already discussed product. Um, specifically, we're diving into sales and then uh, we'll be covering all these other topics as part of this series. So without further ado, let's let's dive right in. So I know I hear as part of uh, the feedback I get from, from customers that I'm helping uh, find a system and, and just in this overall HR tech space, you hear about stories of, that are either positive or negative of how the buyer was treated, um, you know, and there's that personal touch to the, to the buying process. So how was the buyer treated in that process? Uh, and I know vendors are really aggressively trying to get uh, new new business. So from my perspective, from the moment that the um, that the buyer gets introduced to the vendor, it's very important how those interactions go, uh, and it's important, you know, how the perception works as far as the the, the buyer's perspective. So, I'm curious, uh, Rick, in your experience, how much do the, does this soft side of selling and, and how a buyer thinks they've been treated during the buying process? How much of a factor does that end up being in their in their buying decision? I think, Jeremy, what you're seeing now is a shift back to the days where um, that personal experience is playing a, a key factor in the decision-making process. Uh, as you know, there's a multitude of options, small, medium, and large-size organizations with a wide variety of potential platforms. And, uh, you know, they'll do some research ahead of time and maybe have a preconceived notion or two about what the company is, where their sweet spot may be. And then it's really on sales to try to, from the jump, build that relationship. Uh, Make the experience from that very first call, regardless of what led to that initial interaction, uh, make it about the client. Uh, Learning about what brought them to the point that they want to reach out and ask for help, essentially, uh, that they're purchasing something. And it's going to be on that sales professional to make it uh, such that they're interacting with that client. That's the only interaction they're concerned with at that point in time so that they understand why this came to be, what they're looking to accomplish, uh, what this ultimately means for them, uh, and that could be what is that utopian human capital management platform look like in their world, and then make sure from that point all the way through to them being handed off to the implementation team that there's timeliness in all the follow-up, that any type of question is being regarded and taken seriously. If it requires research, go research that and come back. Because if you can give that personal feeling, and we'll talk probably a little bit more about this when we get in a demo, being on site for those demos where uh, where you can, 
that, that personal touch is carrying a lot more weight than say five years ago where a lot of the interactions could happen over the web and uh, it was a lot more informal. Great points. Yeah. And, and you talk, uh, you talk a little bit about that actually, you know, if you're dealing with clients, they all want you to kind of act like they're your only client. Um, but you know, kind of, they all know at the same time that you're, you're also, you know, in your case, looking for other, other prospects. And in, in the case of people working with end clients, you know, working with their clients, but it still matters, you know, how they feel like they're like the attention that they're getting. So can you speak a little bit about, um, you know, how, how the vendor breakout in terms of total number of staff that are focusing on things like uh, sales specifically, and then the services side and potentially development, you know, how, how does the number of people in this, in the sales process uh, affect the attention that, a, that an end buyer would get? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, you look at the sales professional and essentially they become the quarterback of that entire sales process. They're going to go out and bring in development where needed. They're going to go in and bring in maybe someone from service where needed, uh, a solution consultant, whomever it is. So it, it's really going to depend uh, not so much on the size, but more the complexity of the needs for any one client into, you know, whatever they're looking for, the organization itself. Uh, so it's really important that, um, to your point about making it that, that they're the only individual or, or collective group that are important at that, set, that point in time, that the sales professional balances their time, coordinates, bring the people in when it's necessary, and then does the appropriate follow-up. Because if you look at in terms of maybe development, you bring them in, they help, uh, whether it's vetting a particular build that has to happen for that uh, prospective client, then they're on to something else. So it's going to be imperative that that sales professional stays on top of that, has all their notes in alignment, and does the appropriate follow-up internally so that all that information is ultimately getting funneled back to the uh, appropriate parties. Great. Thank you. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how important is it during the sales cycle that, especially when you're talking about software sales, that you have or, or don't have the experience in that particular uh, vertical or, in, or industry. So, you know, let's say you're trying to sell, sell to a healthcare uh, organization, but you don't particularly have experience in that particular vertical. Is that something that you see as, as vital? And are there some industries where it's more important than others? So like, you know, overall, how important it is to be kind of a specialist type um, product versus a one that could be uh, fit into any particular situation? Well, I think uh, when you're looking at the verticals, there's going to be some common themes in terms of functionality requirements. Uh, you know, you mentioned healthcare, so the scheduling is going to be a big component for uh, those type of, of organizations. Uh, but at the end of the day, regardless of the vertical, the industry you're in, every organization is going to present you with unique requirements and unique challenges. And I think bringing in the appropriate people, and we talked moments ago about, you know, development and solution consultant from an analysis perspective, uh, understanding what those needs are, why that's important to the client, and then showcasing where you could help them, where you may have to build something to help them, where there may be a, a third party that you want to bring in as part of that process, I think is going to be important. So, yes, you want to understand the needs of a particular industry, but at the end of the day, we could line up two healthcare facilities and what they're looking to accomplish uh, with the, with an HCM platform may still be remarkably different. Yeah. Are there any other, I mean, you mentioned healthcare, any others like retail or, 
you know, I find that, that those are the two big ones that I, that I come across, but maybe any others that you've, you've come across that do need some sort of specialization? Well, you know, I, I, every industry, I think, has its own little unique needs. Like you said, retail, absolutely. Healthcare is another one. Um, you know, you see a lot of, uh, you'll get a staffing companies that, that have specific needs and wants on the front end uh, when you're looking at applicant tracking and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so every industry is going to have their own little nuance, and we could sit here and probably spend a, a lot of time diving into those. So what you want to do uh, as a sales professional is understand when you're engaging. It goes back to research, right? Understanding who the client is ahead of time. Know their industry. Know, you know the top three challenges that they're going to face and what that could potentially mean in terms of uh, requirements from, a, from an HCM platform. But then go into it with an open mind and say, okay, what are you trying to fix? What are you looking to accomplish? And, and do that due diligence. Peel back the onion. See what's, where the deficiencies are and see how the product may or may not fit to address that. Excellent. And in that last segment, you sort of uh, started to allude to, you know, potentially helping them build something. So the the topic of is the system that we currently have in place going to fit, you know, most of your needs? And if not, what happens to the conversation? Do we start saying yes, that the product can do things that it technically couldn't without some decent amount of uh, customization? Or even, you know, going to to the core product team and having them modify the product? Uh, And versus, you know, are you comfortable as a sales professional to say no to the prospect and and how much trust do you either gain or lose by doing those two things? So, you know, these are things that I find a lot of times either win or lose um, the uh, the sales for the for the buyer. Absolutely. I'm sorry, for the vendor. So what is your perspective on that? What do you what do you try to employ when you're working at working on a prospect? Yeah, I, I think this is probably the, one of the bigger points to the overall puzzle. Uh, you know, you don't want to get caught overselling a solution. Um, and because the ramifications are, they, it's enormous. I mean, when you look at all the products that are in the marketplace today, no product does everything. And for anyone to start or lead in with that, you are, that should already be a warning sign for you. So I think the most important thing you know, when you're working with a uh, potential vendor is to allow them to go in and do some analysis work, understand what you're looking to accomplish, and then let them come back. What we always try to do is understand, okay, here's what, what's going on. Here's the functionality requirements that you have. Okay, now let's see. Here's what the product does in its current construct. Here's what we can do. Uh, here's what we've done for other clients, because that's another big piece of the puzzle, doing more of that consulting work too. Hey, we've seen this process improve by doing this with the system. But then being very upfront about the fact that, okay, we could make the system do that for you, but it's going to take 30 person hours developing this and development would sign off on that. And we even get to the point that we're as comfortable putting that in the agreement saying, we're going to build this for you. Here's the cost associated and here's the deliverable so that the prospective client can feel comfortable knowing that we didn't tell them something exists that doesn't exist and then having to build it behind the scenes because, you know, maybe your implementation folks can help bridge the gap in that you said you had something that you don't actually do, but you don't want to put that on your implementation team. And worse yet, you don't want to get to the end of implementation and have the client come back and say, um, you know, Rick told me it can do this, this, and this. And, and while he was right on most of those, here's three areas that they were deficient in. So you want to avoid that at all costs. And, and to your point, um, you know, 
it's not always bad to say no because you know for us you know people strategy everything we do is guided by this client for life philosophy uh, which speaks to the right clients and the right terms so there has to be times where you are comfortable as a sales professional saying you know what I don't think we're the right fit for you because your needs far exceed the current constructs of our solution and even if we spent 400 hours in development, I still don't think we'll get you where you need to be. And so I, I think the, the true sales professionals are comfortable every now and again walking away from something where they feel either they or the prospective client are going to fail if that partnership is, is forced. Yeah, two, two great points that you made there. One is actually the salesperson respect, respecting what's going to come down the pike to the implementation team. So I think that in itself goes a long way that you know, a lot of salespeople are really just focused on how can I, how can I close this deal, not what's going to happen after the fact. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and then, uh, I mean, that's, that's the big one. Let, let's, let's move on to the next one. So um, we talked a little bit about uh, you know, what, what comes next. Um, as far as the, the RFI and the RFP, I get a lot of complaints from vendors who have to fill out um, enormous 400-page. Uh, uh, well, they have to fill out like a 400-page proposal. Um, they they yeah. complain that it's it's heavily focused on product, and they don't get a chance to to highlight their, you know, what their company can do. So, what is your perspective on this? Would would you just be just as happy if you never had to fill another one of these out, or you think it it constitutes a, a major part of the buying process? I think if you ask any sales professional um, with some truth serum, they're going to say they'd rather not participate in RFP processes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's just the, the cold hard fact. Um, you know, the reality is many organizations enter into a process and they don't really know where to begin. Uh, and so they look to outside sources. A lot of times that leads to the facilitation of an RFP. Mm-hmm. And while some of them are extremely detailed, that you know, 400 pages sometimes are maybe a little more intense than the traditional one, but it, it's a necessary evil in today's environment. Yes, would you love to avoid them? Sure. I, I think the most important piece um, with any RFP process is, while that's a great tool for vetting down to a, a small pool that you want to interact with moving forward, you know, that first cut, if you will, uh, it's important that after that, that you're open to slight deviations to the process. Uh, if you're a stickler to this has to happen, then this, then this, organizations have gotten smart enough in, in responding to RFPs where you can control the messaging such that it answers the question and maybe even answers it as a yes, mm-hmm. but doesn't actually get to the point that you're trying to accomplish. And so being open to the fact that, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to have this analysis discussion off to the side about this particular point, or yes, I'm going to have to have this additional one-off demonstration here that maybe doesn't fit in the, con- the original constructs of the RFP process. If you're open to that, that overall sales process is going to be more mutually beneficial. Yeah. It kind of, that kind of highlights where it doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't work because the vendor kind of wants to avoid, they they prefer the timeline it takes to fill out something that's either a yes, no, or a, you know, rating yes. on a scale of one to 10. But at the same time, they know that an open-ended response will get, allow them to get their point across. So, you know, finding that right balance is, is something that not many, you know, not many, um, selection processes actually accomplish, unfortunately, but exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, you know, th then you dive into typically if you pass through that phase of the, uh, the buying process, you then would go into a demo phase. Uh, and I've seen them be extremely specific to the client and uh, addressing like the whole RFP and, and, you know, cases, uh, specific cases presented by the buyer. Um, I've seen, you know, an hour or an hour and a half long presentation where they spend literally 45 minutes talking about the company and, and the, I can see the, uh, the buyer kind of getting, uh, uptight and impatient in the room as the, as the remote. Sure. So, uh, and then that, that speaks to should the, should the buy or the, should the seller be on site or, uh, or can they be remote? So what are your perspectives on how, how to nail the demo, what make works best for both parties and, and what we should be looking for? So what I think you're seeing today, uh, in, by today, I mean probably over the last two or three years, uh, it's really a two-stage demo process. Uh, you've got that initial pay-to-play demo. It's an overview. It's, okay, here's the functionality, and it's more so that the buyer can get that first look at the system. All right, would this potentially work for my, you know, for my employees, for my managers, for my administrative folks? Uh, from that, and, and that can be remote, right? Because all you're trying to do is, does this conversation need to continue? Does the dialogue, is it mutually beneficial for the dialogue to continue? But then you get to the, the heart, the true demo. And that demonstration really should be an on-site demonstration. It should be very tailored, very specific to the prospective client, what their needs are, what their challenges are that you've uncovered, and, and really make it so that they feel coming out of that meeting that, wow, um, you know, people strategy can really address everything that I need to have happen. They showed me how it's going to work for me when I go live. That's really impactful for the buyer and really helps them see the potential value for themselves. Yeah. So it actually kind of circles back that last point. It circles back to the treatment because it's your, it's your real, that's, it's the interaction that happens during the whole process where you're really, you know, talking about the nuts and bolts, um, showing them the actual product, but you're also, there is an element of it where you're talking about the company and how the company can service the client ongoing, you know, from both the, for Absolutely. We, we had one uh, late last week where we brought someone from product and they built out a particular part of the solution, filled out exactly how it would be coming out implementation for them mm -hmm. and showed them how they, with their codes and everything else. And, and for, there was a wow factor there for the prospective client. Oh, wow. now it's not, you know, Rick, the sales guy saying it can be done. This is them showing it. it here's how it would operate for them. Right. That really does change the whole sales process. So then uh, invariably, if you, I, at least this is my experience and it's not just in selling the software, but if you're selling services, you get past a certain point and then the buyer says, Oh, okay, you know, do you have any case studies you can show us or, or can you, and then invariably they want to see client references. Um, so how important do you find those to be? Um, do they, should there be stories really related to the type of buyer that you're dealing with? Uh, how, how important are the, the references and the characteristics of those references? And do you see, in the end, do you see um, prospects that you think you are about to take over the finish line then uh, back out because of any of those topics? Like how, how important is that on the overall uh, decision? I, I think references are a, an important piece um, to the overall puzzle. Uh, you know, you look at it and you're exactly right. You spend all this time in the sales process and you get in the end in, in that prospective client, the buyer is all excited to move forward. But there, there's always that little bit of caution. Okay, am I the only one that's going down this path for whatever reason? And so we'll, oftentimes what we'll try to do is really paint the overall picture of 
life with people strategy. So, you know, a longstanding client, someone that's been there a while that can speak to service and the evolution of the product and all of that. Uh, someone with a similar, either similar vertical, uh, similar module deployment, you know, someone that's going to have a, a similar setup moving forward once they come out of implementation. Uh, and then someone that has just come out of implementation. So they know what would the change management process look like? Because if the relationship is ever going to sour between the vendor partner and, and the buyer, it's going to be during change management. So if you can paint that overall picture, then you really eliminated that apprehension to ultimately move forward and get over the goal line to, to use your work. Perfect. So uh, I left this spot and I'm leaving this spot for all the people I'm talking to. Um, uh, I'm wondering if you've come up with any or if you have any thoughts as far as what that seventh, uh, kind of like the holy grail of what you should be thinking about in the actual sales process. Um, so any, any uh, enlightenment here? Yeah, and it's a word I've probably thrown out and I, I didn't obviously keep track of it, but uh, probably a couple dozen times. And, and it's the analysis stage of the process. Too often what we're seeing now are organizations go into that play for, pay for play demo that I referenced earlier and then say, okay, that's great. They'll spend 15 minutes on the phone and go, all right, I want a detailed demonstration on these modules of functionality and then we're going to make a decision. And they're in a rush to ultimately make a decision for whatever the reason is. And everyone's got their own different process. I understand that. But taking a moment to slow down and understand the capabilities of the company, the system, the people that, that represent that system and company is extremely important. Allowing us to bring in the appropriate parties and see what you're doing today, how you're doing it, what does the process look like? Uh, can we recommend a, a modification of that process and then what that automation of that process would look like? Really understanding the nuts and bolts of what's going on in your current environment and where you want to go will dramatically change the process and the personalization of that process. Because again, then when we get into that, that tailor-made demo, we're speaking directly to you, directly to your challenges and how we're going to improve your environment. And too often what we're seeing today is there's that rush to bypass that step altogether. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we can show you what performance looks like and what ESS looks like and all of that, but what does that actually mean to you? What are you trying to accomplish? What is the potential impact on your employees or your managers? And so if we can understand that on the front end, then we can not only show you how it would work, but we can show you what the impact is going to be for you when you're live, when you're operating in the daily environment in the solution. Well, you just did a great job of kind of framing the overall uh, where this particular, you know, the sales process fits in the, in the big picture because, you know, we've talked in this series, we've talked about product and how important all the detailed analysis is about, you know, your current processes and what you expect the, the next product to do for you. And then even before uh, you, you did your Rick's choice part there, you, you, made, you alluded to kind of negotiation and how it has to be a bit of a give and take uh, once you've actually made it past the you know the the decision for which product you want to use so i think you've done a great job of basically framing the overall uh, topic and uh, i appreciate this that last point there that was great thanks jeremy yeah and i appreciate the time today it was uh, it was a lot of fun yeah so uh if you want to get uh, more information from from rick specifically his email is up there on the screen right now rick mahoney at peoplestrategy.com uh, you can see my Twitter handle and email address as well. Again, uh, 
please be sure to catch the previous episodes. Uh, in this case, the the overview as well as the product, and then uh, we'll be coming at, going forward here with the remainder of the seven points. So I hope you've enjoyed today's uh, recording, and I look forward to our next chance to talk. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Seven Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology. Subscribe on iTunes and learn more at hrgazette.com.